Well, would you please turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 20 uh, this morning. Uh, This is part of a larger section of God's Word, a larger section of what Paul is communicating that stretches down to chapter 2, verse 4, but we're kind of dividing up this section to verse 20. And, and if you'd like, you can also turn in your Bibles to Acts 16. I'll be referencing that uh, later this, in this morning uh, as a, a part of what we're learning about what God was doing in Paul's life. Um, but you can pause there. Um, we've been looking at 2 Corinthians and this, this uh, way that God meets us to strengthen his people in their weakness and how he shepherds his people, he comforts his people, he loves us. And as we've seen the last few weeks that Paul has described God as not just a compassionate father, but a God of all comfort, uh, a God of all comfort who meets us in our afflictions and that he promises and he will deliver us. But what if that deliverance takes a while? What if it takes a year? What if it takes like the Israelites 40 years? What if it lasts this side of glory, our entire lives. What if part of what God is doing in our afflictions is growing us, growing us to understand not just that he saved us by faith, but that he's guiding our lives by grace. And part of the afflictions that we endure right now, God is growing us so that we would live by his grace. Covenant children, as your parents permit, would you draw a picture for me of a light switch? As a kid, and maybe you as kids, I used to love to flip a light switch on or off. I love to see the lights go on and off to my parents' frustration. (laughs) Stop doing that. But here's why I ask you to draw a light switch. Because sometimes our lives feel like they go back and forth, up and down. Our circumstances change. But God's word and God's promise, they're weighty. God doesn't promise and then change his promises on us. He's not like a light switch that goes up and down. The promises of God are always yes. We're going to see that emerge in God's word. I want you to listen to that, covenant kids. Well, friends, this is God's word for us this morning. This is what we build our lives upon. Let me read it to you from 2 Corinthians, beginning in verse 12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. For we were not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of the Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we boast, will boast of you. Because I was sure of this. I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. 
Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we do come before your word. and We ask that you'd help us to hear it. Do we learn to know how you intend your people to live as witnesses, testimonies of your grace? It's you who've brought us here. And Lord, you're the one who sustains us. So impress your grace upon us that we would learn to follow in your ways, to align our hearts with yours. Oh Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was perhaps the moment of my greatest weakness. It was supposed to be the moment of my greatest strength in ministry. Turned out to be the moment of my greatest weakness, perhaps even panic in ministry. Uh, If you are aware of the PCA and how our ordination trials uh, uh, undergo, uh, it was in the midst of that trial that I experienced a great amount of weakness, but not initially. You see, in the PCA, you have to go to seminary. You have to do well in seminary. You have to have a year of internship. Uh, You also have to uh, go through a number of written exams that each one, five, would take multiple hours to complete, ranging in topics from Bible knowledge, church history, book of church order, sacraments. And then you would sit in front and you'd prepare Greek and Hebrew exams, and you'd, you'd complete those, you'd write papers. And then you'd sit in front of a committee And that committee of seven or eight pastors and elders would be able to ask you any question from church history through anything that the Bible says, anything that the book of church elders says, and you have to answer. And I was doing fantastic. (laughs) I knew it all in my head. So much so that at the end of that committee exam, they said, don't even worry about the next test. You're doing just fine. Well, what was the next test? The next test was to stand in front of the entire presbytery, every pastor in the region with every representative, every church represented with elders, and they can ask any question from the Bible, from church history, from the book of church order. This is what your pastors, by the way, endure because we love Jesus. (laughs) In the midst of that, I thought I had it all in my head. I thought I was strong and ready. In fact, uh, the first question that got asked was, outline the gospel of John. I turned to the person who was the other candidate standing next to me. He was a brother-in-law of John and Vanjie Wyckoff. And I said, watch this. I've got every chapter section memorized, not just outlined. And in my strength, I stood up. Chapter one of of the gospel of John, the word became flesh. Chapter two, the wedding of Cana. Chapter three, uh, Jesus and Nicodemus. Chapter four, the woman at the well. Chapter five, chapter five. And 
in that moment, I didn't know what chapter five, I didn't know what my name was. <laughs> Panic ensued. What do I do next? My weakness is on display in front of every pastor. And that's when the pastor on the front row, my pastor, he said, he guided me. Jake, just go to the next chapter. I can't remember. Just go to the next one you do remember. He graciously guided me. And as I sat later reflecting on my experience, my failure, and yet I still was ordained. It was like God was showing me that my calling, my ministry wouldn't succeed by my knowledge, by my strength, but actually in the face of my weakness. I was learning to depend, to be guided by the grace of God. Friends, that is so much of what Paul wants us to understand in his letter to Second this in Second Corinthians. You see, the Corinthians, they struggled to understand their strength and their weakness. They were an affluent church. They, on appearances, seemed to have everything together. They had Paul found their church. Apollos, the great and eloquent preacher, was pastoring them. And when they saw Paul in his afflictions, when they saw Paul call out their sin, there was a faction among them that tried to use Paul's weakness as an excuse that perhaps God is not with him, that his apostolic authority may not matter. We shouldn't trust in the reliability of Paul. He's weak. You see, we all try and hide our weaknesses. I know one pastor said this way, it's like we try and airbrush our weaknesses out of our lives. But Paul is telling the church here, what he wants us to understand is that God actually is using those weaknesses to make us rely all the more on the power of God to not only save us by grace, but to guide us in life by his grace. How does he explain this to us? Well, he, he begins in this passage by talking about boasting. You see, he doesn't cover up his weakness. He actually learns to boast in his inabilities <laughs> because we know what boasting is. You all know, I mean, if you're a Georgia fan this morning, you know what boasting is, right? For the last month, we've been hearing about the boasting of the strength of Georgia. You know what boasting's like, boasting in your job, in your success, in a, in a really good third quarter, in your child, in their, how well they're doing in school, in the vacation that we just went on. We know how to boast. Boasting is, is attributing something glory. So what's Paul boasting about? He actually, he surprises us by talking about boasting here because what he describes about boasting is a boasting in, in his behavior, in his life, that, that's described, he says, in two ways, simplicity and godly sincerity. What does Paul mean by that? Well, by 
simplicity, he's talking about singleness. It's a, it's a simplicity of, of how he thinks and how he's devoted to something. He's not devoted to many different things. He's devoted to one thing. He's devoted to doing what God wills above everything else. Even though he loves this church in Corinth, he'd give his life for this church. This is, he's, try, he's given his life to form many churches but he's doing so with his focus on the Lord, not in his own strength. And a godly sincerity, a godly sincerity is a motivation that's driven not by whims or, or a fluctuating light switch of circumstance, but he's driven to follow and motivated by what God is telling him to do. That's the boast. It's a boast in being faithful. It's a boast of, of remaining focused on the Lord, regardless of the circumstances, even when his strength fails. You see, this is part of what Paul wants us to understand, what he wants the Corinthians to understand. You see, he says, you understand what I preach to you. You understand that you are saved by grace. But, but it's a partial understanding. You don't understand everything. And I want you dearly to understand that it, you live by grace too. You don't live by your own strength. Ministry isn't succeed by your own strength. It actually succeeds by the promise of God. The promise to be with us. The promise that we belong to him. Remember back in John chapter 15 as Jesus is sharing his, with his disciples about their ministry and he says, abide in me. You know, as you go out, they're going to do amazing things. But, but the fruitfulness of that ministry, it's from you belonging to me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He's not just talking about our salvation. He's talking about the fruitfulness of our ministry, the fruitfulness of our church, the fruitfulness of our lives. It comes from boasting in, in the greatness of God and being faithful to him when everything else is flipping around us. Paul continues by describing this and uh, asking that the Corinthians join in the boasting of him. And he talks about the day of the Lord. What he's talking about is that end day when we'll see the full glory of Jesus. What a day that will be. Jesus is going to wipe every tear from our eyes. All of the flipping of the world is going to go away. He's going to heal us completely. Death will be no more. The full glory of Jesus on display. No longer coming in humility, but in exaltation. And Paul says this. I hope you boast of me just as I will boast of you. What's that boast look like? The boast isn't in how big our sanctuary is or how good we look on Sunday mornings. The boast that I'll have before Jesus is a pastor emeritus who, despite feeling not well, comes to tell me wise pastoral counsel because of Jesus speaking truth to me. The boast that I'm going to have before Jesus is the faithfulness, the endurance of those of you who are caring for people, for parents, or for children who cannot take care of themselves. And it's so difficult, and it's so hard and painful. The affliction seems so great, but you hold fast to Jesus. 
You trust in his promises, and so you endure. The marriage that's struggling, life seems like it will never change with my spouse, but I remain faithful because of Jesus. I'm focusing on Jesus. That's the boast of our hearts. It's not the boast of our strengths. It's the boast of of, of what God is at work doing in our lives. That's what we'll boast before the Lord in. That's the greatness of the church. Paul continues from boasting, boasting in faithfulness to describing an example of obedience. He describes this in verses 15 and 16. Uh, He actually begins in this section saying he wanted to come through Macedonia. Macedonia was the the upper region, the northern region above Corinth. Uh, Macedonia was where Paul planted a number of churches. And in 1 Corinthians 16, in the last letter we have recorded, he sent other letters in between, but the last one we have, he said he was going to try and do that. He was planning to, actually, planning to come back on his way through Macedonia. And and he describes this double experience of grace. And there are scholars who debate this, but very likely what it means is is Paul was raising a collection for the needy who are in Jerusalem. And what he was sharing is as he was coming through, he wanted them to experience a double experience of grace. An ability to give to the needy is what I believe Paul is describing as that grace experiencing the ability to share in another person's weakness. That's a powerful way of experiencing grace. Paul is describing this this in this way so that they would learn again that that's not their affluence that makes them strong, their ability to contribute that makes them strong, but in God's provision for them, allowing them to give to others. And, and Paul continues to describe his personal obedience to the Lord. As I mentioned, people were wondering whether or not uh, he was reliable. He, he had said he would come and then he didn't, and people were using that as an opportunity to to. Uh, to denigrate his ministry, his teaching. And Paul says, I wasn't vacillating. I wasn't going back and forth. I'm not a light switch. I actually go as the Lord leads. I'm following based upon where God directs me. This is where Acts 16 fits in. Uh, If you've got your Bibles and you have them turned there, uh, please do so. We're going to look at verses 6 through 9. You see, he's not flipping around, uh, flipping himself around, choosing to go at a whim, but, but you can see in this passage in Acts how the Lord is directing his life, directing his ministry, even in weakness. It says in verse 6 of Acts 16, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, to speak the word in Asia. Remember we said last year, Asia is that part of, part of modern Turkey, the, the fourth that's western side of the Mediterranean, but being forbidden to go there. And they had come to Mysia and they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. 
And so passing by Mysia, they went to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, what is God doing in this? Well, he's preventing Paul from going where he believes he needs to go. Paul is not at the whims of his own desires, but he's obedient. He goes where the Lord leads. He goes to the regions without understanding why God sends him to where he sends him. Paul is describing what it means to be dependent upon grace, of knowing even where he goes next. It's up to the grace of God. Paul's concerned, he wants the the Corinthians to to understand that even what appears to be this decision that he's decided to avoid them, it's not true, but even more so he's concerned that they would see what they perceive as vacillation to affect the way that they understand who God is. That perhaps if Paul fluctuates, maybe God fluctuates in his promises. Paul wants to be very clear. It's not that God changes. His yes is always yes in Christ Jesus. All of God's promises are true in Christ Jesus. That's what leads to this third point. It's not just the experience of obedience or the, the, uh, the way that we would, would obey God. And it's not just the boasting of our, our faithfulness, but Paul wants us to have a wonder of our faith. Look with me in verse 19, back in 2 Corinthians. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. At this point, Paul's turning all of his, his uh, mindset, his, his, his reasons for going, his reasons for enduring to Jesus. He actually, he orders this differently. He places Jesus in the front part of this verse. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you. He's saying this isn't even about Silvanus and Timothy or I. It's not really about us. It's about Jesus. You're making it about me, but I'm saying it's about him. Look to him and what he's at work doing. What are his promises? How has he fulfilled everything that God has promised And what are those promises? They're promises that he guides us. He guides us through the hard places of our lives. As we'll sing in a moment that he defines my worth, not in skill or in name or in win or in loss or in pride or in shame, but with the very blood of Jesus. And that while he secures our souls for eternity, which we'll talk about a little later next week, that in our weaknesses, he guides us to see his provision and his love in powerful ways by his presence with us, even in our afflictions. You belong to me, 
and he will produce fruitfulness for the sake of his kingdom, even in our weaknesses. So what good is an afflicted, hurting person? That was the question that a 17-year-old young woman asked after she had dove off of a cliff, hit a rock, shattered two of her vertebrae, and was left a paraplegic. Some of you know the story of Joni Erickson Tata. How for the first two weeks of her life as a quadriplegic, she wanted to end her life. The affliction was so great until the Lord met her with his grace who gave her ministry upon ministry of caring for others, for helping to not only understand those who were in need, like her, quadriplegics, but actually helping those who believe they are strong to understand God's love and use for those who are weak. And in an interview with her, later at the, towards much later in her life, a reporter was interviewing her and asked the questions, do you have any regrets in your life? And she said, no. And being unbelieving of that, the reporter continued, well, what about diving off that cliff and becoming a quadriplegic? This is how she responded. If God needed a quadriplegic, I'm glad to be in this chair. We need a quadriplegic to teach us how God is at work in our weaknesses as much as when we feel strong. God is the one who guides us by his grace. So even when we feel like we're the light switch, <laughs> we're being guided and built up in the faithfulness that comes from him, not our own strength, to follow him in obedience wherever he leads and to wonder all the more of how he loves us, his great promises which will never change. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that your word is true. We thank you that you've given us one who has stood in our place, one who died for us, bore the sins that we deserve to pay the penalty of. And Lord, how he has risen from the dead so that we would look to him to find strength in our great moments of weakness. Would you impress your grace upon us even now that we would learn to walk faithfully guided by your grace so that we'd be more like you for the sake of your kingdom and for the growth of your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.